Chapter Eight of *The Broken Rosary* by Grayson Harold Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Eight. Mary and Dan were leaving the Merton Dispatch Office at eleven thirty o'clock when they saw a man heading toward the police parking lot a half block away. Isn't that Sam Brighton? Mary asked, pointing. That's who it is. Dan grabbed her by the hand. Come on, let's catch him. They reached the detective just as he was unlocking the door of his car. Any new developments, Sam? Dan asked. No, Wilkes and Davis are questioning Tipolo in Wilkes' office right now. I didn't go in. I want to get off by myself and do some thinking. Let's go over to Stan's diner for a bite to eat and some coffee. We can talk it over. That's better than trying to think it out alone. I don't know. I think I ought to go home. Three heads are better than one, Mary said. She felt sorry for Sam. He was just an honest copper, more serious than most. In the night air the smells of the day lingered, a compound of oil, gas fumes, and hot bricks. Far away, short blasts of a whistle were demanding the attention of some supervisor in one of the mills. Finally Sam said, Okay, let's go. We'll drive over in my car. For Mary this was a tingling new experience entirely in a man's world. She had never been in Stan's diner, which lay snuggled against a high embankment beside the railroad tracks, its lights gleaming through sooty windows. There surely wasn't anything fancy about the diner, no chrome plate, no streamlining, but she had heard the food was good and that the place was clean. Besides, Dan wouldn't take her anywhere that wasn't okay. As they entered, Mary noticed that already the back counter was stacked high with delicious crescent rolls, freshly baked and crusty, waiting for the early morning crowd. Three railroad men sat on high stools at the counter, huddled over steaming cups of coffee. Sam led the way to the back booth, where he seated himself on the opposite side of the table from Mary and Dan. After the waitress had taken their orders, Dan said, "'Wilkes thinks Wally committed suicide.' In fact, he's quite certain of it now, even though the paraffin test didn't show any powder nitrates on his hand. Sam worried his lower lip between his teeth for a moment. What did he expect when an automatic was used? I think he's all wrong. As sure as I'm sitting here, I know Wally didn't take his own life. You knew him, O'Hara. He wasn't the kind to despair or want to run out on anything. He liked life, the good life. You don't think he'd commit suicide, do you? No. Dan said, I don't. Mary shook her head. I don't think so either, Mr. Brighton. A man who carried a rosary in his pocket surely had more faith than to do a thing like that. Some of Sam's tenseness eased at Mary's words. You've got something there, Mary, Dan said, which leaves us with the possibility that Wally was murdered by someone who was in the bank between 8.15 and 8.23 when Vance Adams called the police. The ones we know who were there at that time have all been questioned, and where are we? Sam shook his head. I just came from a talk with Wally's wife, Vera. I had been talking to Chief Wilkes about her. She didn't know anything had happened until ten o'clock. Like myself, she was in the bank building before she went to the movie at the palace. That's where they eventually located her. Then she saw Wally before he was shot? Dan asked. No, Vera says she got downtown, parked her car, and decided to go to the restroom on the fourth floor of the bank, as it wasn't as public as the one at the palace. Usually she had to go to Wally's office to get the key, 
but this evening she said the restroom was unlocked because the cleaning women were working in there did the cleaning women see her dan asked no but she said their buckets and mops were there i meant to check about the door being unlocked but i imagine it's the truth vera wouldn't lie mary looked at dan her face flushed it's the truth all right i found the door unlocked right after we got there this evening about eight thirty did mrs brighton see anyone in the building who wasn't on wilkes list dan asked sam shook his head she says not she was only in the building a few minutes and then went to the palace she didn't see wally at all when she got to the theatre she took a seat in the back row shortly afterward clayton stoll came in and took the seat next to her dan's eyebrows raised by accident or on purpose i've seen them around quite a bit together usually in her car sam shrugged his shoulders i don't know i've seen them too but i don't think it means a thing stoll is old enough to be her father and he's been a friend of the family for many years i think vera sort of turned to him because she and wally weren't getting along too well that's a shame mary said quickly what was the trouble again sam shrugged his shoulders i don't know maybe they just weren't suited for each other wally would never talk much about it when i mentioned it to him and of course i never asked vera they sat in silence while the waitress brought their sandwiches and coffee when she moved away from their table sam asked did you go out to the scene of the murder near st james yes dan replied an old man named duffield was shot twice at close range while on his way home from church or rather on the way to the home of his son-in-law where he was visiting bring me up to date on it will you dan Ten minutes later, after Dan, with Mary's help, finished his recital of the Duffield case, Sam asked, Do you see any connection between this and Wally's murder? Dan shook his head. Nothing, except they happened within minutes of each other, and that, of course, is a mere coincidence. A switch engine steamed noisily by, ringing its bell and shaking the diner. Mary looked from Dan to Sam. I asked the same question, Mr. Brighton. It seems too queer just to be a coincidence. Dan grinned. Mary reads too many detective yarns. Go ahead and laugh. Mary made a face at Dan. There is one thing in common in those two murders. Mr. Brighton was prosecuting attorney, and as such came in contact with criminals. Mr. Duffield was at one time sheriff in Missouri, and he, too, must have come in contact with criminals. Could that mean anything? Dan wrinkled his nose, as if smelling something unpleasant. Then he gave Mary an indulgent smile. "'You've been kept up too late, Mary. You should have put your brain to sleep a couple of hours ago. Wally was prosecutor now. Duffield was sheriff some twenty or thirty years ago. Wally was prosecutor right here in Merton, Ohio. And Duffield was sheriff way down in Missouri, seven or eight hundred miles from here. No, Mary, they don't add up.' Mary flushed, and the pink in her tan cheeks made her look more attractive. I don't see why. There is a relationship there. Any relationship you can build up out of that is artificially constructed. Dan turned to Sam. Right? The detective hesitated before he answered. I don't know. Maybe Mary has a point. Sometimes things in the past come up into the present and bite you hard. It's worth thinking about. The flush stayed on Mary's cheeks. She winked at Dan, but said nothing. Dan rubbed his forehead with the tips of his fingers. He looked wearily at Sam. 
If you look at it that way, maybe she's got something, but it's an awfully long shot. We've got to play the long shots, too, said Sam. We can't overlook a thing. Mary tinkled with delight. For the first time that night, she'd really contributed something to the investigation. She edged forward in her seat, filled with expectancy, like a small boy who has just been given permission to shoot off a bunch of firecrackers. Her voice was pitched a bit higher when she said, looking directly at Sam, and it could have been someone we don't know about who was in the merchant's bank and shot your brother. It wouldn't be too hard to get in and out of that building without anyone knowing it, especially at that hour in the evening when there aren't many around. Why, a person could walk into Baxter's drugstore, buy something, and casually walk out the rear door, into the bank lobby, when Fisher was busy at his cigar counter. After that, it would be easy to go upstairs to whatever floor he wanted, and then leave by the same way, through the drugstore. The clerks wouldn't pay a bit of attention to anyone if he bought a package of gum or something. People are always going in and out of those doors. Both Sam and Dan nodded in agreement. What Mary said was true. It left the question in all their minds as to whether the murder had been committed just that way. A heavy silence hung over them while Sam glumly sipped his coffee. Dan gave Mary a half-smile. Something you forgot, Miss Sherlock Holmes, is that it would have been impossible for the murderer to cross town in such a short interval of time to kill Duffield after having murdered Wally. There would have to be two murderers. Any reason there couldn't be? Only that murderers don't run around in pairs. Mary tilted back her head and sniffed. Ever read Macbeth by a guy named Shakespeare? Two murderers there. Dan laughed and shook his head. Sorry, Mary. This isn't the drama. This is the real thing. I'm afraid it's no Mr. and Mrs. job. Believe me. Sam stood up, leaning forward on the table with his weight on his fingertips. I've got to run along, kids. I want to get over to the station and see if Wilkes is through questioning Tipolo. I'm eager to see what he found out. Then I want to get home to see how Mom is. I left her with her sister, my Aunt Laura. Women are more comfort to each other than a man is at a time like this. End of chapter 8